Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul has named former New York City Health Commissioner Mary Bassett to lead the state's health department. The announcement comes less than a week after current health commissioner Howard Zucker, the controversial appointee of Governor Andrew Cuomo, said he would resign as soon as a replacement could be found. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Bassett, a 30-year veteran in healthcare policymaking, will take over on December 1st. She's currently at Harvard University, managing departments in the School of Public Health and the Center for Health and Human Rights. She served as New York City's health commissioner from 2014 until 2018. There, she oversaw the city's response to the Ebola epidemic and the Zika virus and developed neighborhood health centers. Bassett, an African-American, also spoke up in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. She left for Harvard during a controversy over the city's failure to properly inspect lead paint in public housing. The outgoing Zucker was implicated in an alleged cover-up of the true number of nursing home deaths during the height of the pandemic in New York in the spring of 2020. A federal investigation is ongoing. Cuomo resigned in August over a sexual harassment scandal. The leadership change comes as Hochul is coping with fallout from a September 27th vaccine mandate for health care workers in New York State. Employees who refuse to get vaccinated are losing their jobs, intensifying an existing staffing shortage. The governor issued an emergency order Monday evening to speed up the replacement of unvaccinated nurses, doctors, and health care workers with foreign workers, retirees, and newly graduated health care professionals. She also now has the authority to call on the state's National Guard to help out. It doesn't have to be this way. It does not. And it's not a role I relish. Uh, My default position is to ask people, please do this. This is why it's been proven to be safe. The vaccine's been out there a long time now. Hochul, who has not answered questions from the media since she issued the emergency order, released a written update Wednesday. It indicates things aren't as bad as initially feared. She says vaccinations among health care workers surged in the hours before the deadline, and 87 percent of hospital staff are now fully vaccinated. Ninety-two percent have received at least one dose. The governor says no hospitals have had to close because of a staffing shortage. Nevertheless, hundreds of hospital workers around the state who refuse the vaccine have been terminated or placed on administrative leave. Tammy Reynolds is associate vice president of nursing operations at the Alice Hyde Medical Center in Malone in the North Country. That region has a 5% coronavirus infection rate, the highest in the state. The small hospital has lost dozens of employees, and she says inpatient beds have been filled to capacity for months. Our staff are exhausted. Each day they deal with COVID, increased volumes at work. They go home to support families that are impacted by quarantine, remote learning, and now they're being put in a place where they have to choose 
to be vaccinated or lose their jobs. Hochul's executive order was criticized by the head of the state's Republican Party, Nick Langworthy. He says the mandate is unconstitutional because teachers and other public workers are given the option of submitting to weekly testing instead. But these folks here get an ultimatum and a pink slip and a kick in the butt and sent out the door. It's wrong. They should have a test out option just like every other employee in this state. Langworthy also says it's an abuse of the state's National Guard to require them to work in hospitals instead of qualified health care workers who don't want to be vaccinated. The mandate is the subject of numerous lawsuits. They're now proceeding in the courts. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. The COVID vaccine mandate for health care workers started this week in New York and with it, a fear of staffing shortages at medical facilities. More from WAMC's Dave Lucas. Governor Kathy Hochul unveiled a comprehensive plan addressing staffing shortages in hospitals and other health care facilities statewide should they occur, including what could be done to increase the workforce in hospitals and nursing homes where employees fail to meet the state's deadline. At Schenectady's Ellis Hospital, there is a Friday deadline for staff to receive a final dose of a COVID-19 vaccine. Officials say as of Monday, 94% of the staff has had at least one dose, with 91% fully vaccinated. 69 employees who previously filed religious exemptions will be allowed to continue working, pending the outcome of court rulings. At Saratoga Hospital, 95% of 3,126 employees have been vaccinated, leaving some 150 unvaccinated. Half of those employees have received an appropriate exemption. Unvaccinated employees without exemptions face unpaid administrative leave. The hospital says it is working hard to address staffing shortages and has not yet curtailed any specific services. St. Peter's Health Partners says it is assessing the full impact of what will likely be significant staffing vacancies with a stated goal of vaccination not termination, counting just under 400 staffers who have yet to provide proof of vaccination or declare their intent to get vaccinated. Officials are hopeful the number of unvaccinated will decrease in the hours remaining before the midnight deadline. An Albany Medical Center spokesperson says the hospital is experiencing increased wait times due to staffing shortages felt nationwide and is hopeful that the 272 members of our staff who are unvaccinated will become vaccinated for the safety of our community. Albany Med is also working to keep the cancellation or postponement of surgeries to a minimum. New York State Nurses Association Upstate Political Director Corey Ellis also, the Albany Common Council president tells WAMC the union had no comment on impending staffing shortages at the moment. Albany County Executive Dan McCoy says the number of people infected countywide is rising. And this is primarily with people that aren't vaccinated. And we had 52 new, new cases overnight. 39 didn't have a clear source, and the rest of them either knew, you know, was at work or uh, was traveling. So these are things that alarm us. But what's alarming to me is that there are now uh, six patients, uh, six new patients in the hospital. 32 county residents are hospitalized with the virus. Six are in the ICU, which is down um, a few from over the weekend. But unfortunately, I have to tell you, we had another person pass away from the virus last night. Uh, that brings our total up to 400. 
to. Albany Medical Center President and CEO Dr. Dennis McKenna says the hospital has been treating so-called breakthrough cases. A breakthrough case by definition is somebody who has been vaccinated but yet still does get the virus. And yes, we have seen those cases. The vaccine is safe and effective. It's 95% effective, but that means there are cases 5% of the time where someone may get it. Overwhelmingly, when someone gets a breakthrough case, they're not going to get as sick as somebody who's vaccinated. So they may get the virus, but they very rarely require hospitalization or end up in the ICU. Governor Hochul's response plan includes signing an executive order, if necessary, to declare a state of emergency seeking to increase workforce supply and allow qualified health care professionals licensed in other states or countries recent graduates, retired, and formerly practicing health care professionals to practice in New York. The Albany, Bethlehem, Gilderland, and Niskayuna school districts all now require athletes to be vaccinated. County Executive Dan McCoy is concerned about students' mental health. It's hard for people to adjust to a new environment, especially parents wearing masks and the kids wearing masks, and now they can play sports, they can't play sports. Uh, Now they got to be fully vaccinated. Um, And I think everyone's trying to make the right decisions, and everyone's trying to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. You know, the sports, you know, I think it's good, but it's something they probably should have decided earlier on um, to launch it at the last second. But again, I always say when it's easy to be Monday quarterback, these school boards, these superintendents uh, are really just trying to protect the children and trying to keep the school open. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Well, another conversation this week, this time with Richard Gottfried, the assemblyman from Manhattan who is the longest serving legislator over 50 years in the state assembly. He's also got the distinction of being at one point the youngest elected official in New York State. Alan, you've been through that whole entire time. I've been talking with him and at the very beginning of his legislative career, he introduced a bill to legalize sex work, legalize prostitution. That's been going on all these years. And now in 2021, we see we got majorities in both houses. We've got a Democratic governor at the moment who even hinted this past week that she's looking at it and listening to experts. Well, look, it's the oldest profession. We know that. And we do know that there are prostitutional parts of the society which go forward, but are not the same thing as somebody going up and paying somebody else for sex. And that has been happening. Dick Gottfried, I much admire him. I've been watching him over these years, as you suggest. He's been there a long time. I've been there a long time. I've been talking to him for a long time. And he's a guy who's going to do what he has to do because it's the right thing he thinks. And his advocacy of the legalization or the decriminalizing, probably more accurately, of prostitution is really the issue. 
Now, everything that we do in society, if we change the bail reform and bail laws and all of a sudden you get a crime rate going up, people will say, well, that's why this is happening. So we don't know if it happens. We do know that there are a lot of men and mostly men who take advantage of women and who sell them. And whether or not if we make a change, the pimps will go out of business, I don't know. But I can tell you, you know, I have my doubts that these creeps will crawl into a hole and say, okay, we can't do this anymore. Nope, I doubt that very much. However, I think that you got to give Gottfried a lot of credit for having the guts to do what he thinks is right. Well, Alan, the idea that New York would have universal health care was talked about around the edges, but mm. not really ever expected. Now, you know, they have the support with both houses in Democratic hands and the governor who's supportive of it, this New York Health Act. But the issue was the unions, he told us, the city and state unions that Gottfried and others have been negotiating with. They were really worried that universal health care would mean they'd have less benefits. He says, in fact, they'll have more and they're working on the language now. Could we see universal health care in New York? We probably could. I mean, I think it's coming. I think it's coming as a federal plan. I think it is going to happen. As you say, David, both houses of the legislature are now in Democratic hands. Everybody has been mouthing off the advantages of universal health care, and I think that's true. But you're going to have a lot of changes that you're going to have to make. You're going to have doctors who are now drowning because they're working so hard and others who are, you know, up against it. And you're going to have to make sure that there is a capacity to serve everybody and have the right kinds of people there. I'm very hopeful. I think we're getting there, but we're not there yet. Well, and he is the chair of the health committee in the state assembly. And we've had quite the health crisis with COVID-19, of course, impacting New York the hardest in many ways. You asked him about former Governor Cuomo and his handling of the situation, referencing the idea that the now resigning health commissioner, Howard Zucker, was listening to Cuomo, calling in the plays, as you put it. And Gottfried agreed. He said Cuomo has undermined the Department of Health. Well, let's put it this way. Anytime you politicize anything like the attorney general and the federal government, which had always been sort of sacrosanct from that kind of interference or in large part, let's put it that way. In the case of the health commissioner, the health department is supposed to be scientifically oriented and not doing political bidding. The accusation here is that Zucker did what was asked of him by this governor. We don't know it. We weren't in the room. But we can tell you that whatever it was stuck to him, to Zucker, and he had to go. And now the former New York City health commissioner has become the person who is going to take over the state health department. For a long time, I don't know, because this is going to be one hell, David, of a gubernatorial primary. It's going to be unbelievable. A lot of people are talking about coming in. And by no means should we say that Kathy Hochul, the former lieutenant governor, now governor, is a shoe and She is not. We are looking at people like Tish James and others who are going to come in. And they are going to have their own slant on these things. We read in the New York Times that there was a gathering of prominent conservatives, including some outstanding Republicans like Al D'Amato and Katsimitidis, who are known to have their own political ambitions, but who are going to be backing Kathy Hochul. This cannot be good for her, as a lot of people are going to be saying, wait a second, that's not what we want from our Democratic Party. 
Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartong. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Although the contours of the district will be changing next year, the race for what is currently New York's 19th House District seat is taking shape. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus reports. The Purple District currently stretches from east of Albany, south along the border of Massachusetts and Connecticut, west to the Pennsylvania border, and north into the Mohawk Valley. Democrat Antonio Delgado won the seat in 2018, ousting first-term Republican John Faso as control of the House flipped. Two years later, Delgado held off a challenge from Republican Kyle Vandewater, who planned to run again next year before his untimely death in September. Soon after, a high-profile name long seen as a possible candidate made it official. COVID science has been discarded for partisan politics and power grabs, public safety threatened by short-sighted policies that undermine law enforcement, threaten victims and witnesses, and even even hurt the well-being of the alleged defenders. An embarrassing and deadly retreat from Afghanistan has made America and New York less safe than any time since 9-11. Republican Mark Molinaro kicked off his campaign at a Rhinebeck farm. The Dutchess County executive, former state assemblyman and mayor of Tivoli, ran for governor in 2018 when he lost to Andrew Cuomo. I think that we need problem solvers in New York. I think we need people who understand the the very dignity of public service. Serving on the Agriculture, Small Business and Transportation and Infrastructure Committees, Delgado has presented himself as a hardworking pragmatist. Although he voted to impeach President Trump twice, Delgado stresses his community roots, bipartisan approach and frequent district events. A spokesperson for Delgado declined to comment on Molinero's entry into the race, but the Democrat was asked about 2022 during a WAMC Congressional Corner interview in July. I'm just going to focus on the work that I've been doing. You know, we've covered a lot of ground today, you know, when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to broadband. You know, we, we know that we have a lot of needs. And, you know, I think for me, my, my time is best served when I'm thinking about how to deliver um, for the folks on the ground. In its ideological ratings, GovTrack.us ranks Delgado as one of the most moderate Democrats in the House this Congress. I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to get 10 bills signed into law under the previous administration and already have two bills signed into law um, this go-round. So my focus is going to stay on the work uh, and make sure that we continue to find um, bipartisan opportunities where we can uh, and make sure that people back home understand that um, the work really starts and ends with them and how I'm able to build my relationship with the community and not with what's going on in Washington. Lee Miringoff is the director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion in Poughkeepsie. He says the district could once again serve as a national bellwether. Look, this is a district that is a competitive district. And competitive districts attract a lot of attention, particularly with the uh, difference in Congress uh, nationally uh, so slight. 
um, that the uh, hopes of the Republicans regaining control of the Congress could conceivably go through the 19th District in New York. Molinero spoke with WIMC just before launching his latest campaign and was asked about the potential for another run for president by Donald Trump in 2024. Listen, uh, he will make his choices. Uh, our, our party and the public will uh, will express the, their their desire. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that to uh, to a more appropriate political time. Miringoff says the continued presence of Trump in national politics could be a double edged sword, energizing some voters, perhaps, while turning off others. Would you want Donald Trump to come into the district to campaign for you? I'm not so sure. Uh, that might be a, a very tough calculation and one that I think Molnaro may want to run as his own person. At the same time, with the president's party typically in line for losses during the midpoint of his first term, Delgado may also have to play defense on behalf of President Biden, whose approval rating is sagging into the 40s during the latest Washington wars. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Earlier this year, the New York State Senate Cities 2 committee was formed with Rochester Democrat Jeremy Cooney, its first chair. He's in the midst of touring the eight largest cities in the state outside of New York City and visited Plattsburgh this week. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. Democrat Jeremy Cooney of the 56th District has launched what he is calling the Regenerate Tour, with an initial stop in Albany before traveling north to Plattsburgh. This listening tour, Cooney says, focuses on three central topics. Around workforce development and wealth generation, recreating, revitalizing our downtowns or center city cores, and talking about what is ever happening with infrastructure in our country, how we can benefit from that across the state of New York in terms of cities. And by the way, when we say infrastructure, we mean that in the broadest sense. Infrastructure to meet the demands and needs of residents of New York and, of course, from our mayors. I do want to emphasize this is a bipartisan effort. North Country Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Gary Douglas hosted a roundtable discussion with Senator Cooney and members of the business, educational, and governmental sectors to discuss regional concerns. Some of the focus of the conversation centered on workforce development, which got into a a very good conversation about our community colleges and how the state's uh, funding formula is so far out of date that it's actually undermining the role of community colleges and doing the kinds of training and certification programs and things that we need to be supporting. A good conversation about housing, not so much low-income housing, there are a lot of programs for that, but in Plattsburgh uh, for moderate-income housing, uh, and that is really needed in the Adirondack region where property values are just escalating to a point that the working people in communities like Lake Placid can't live in the places where we need them to be to work anymore. 
While Cooney's Plattsburgh visit was part of the first leg of his Regenerate tour, he anticipated he would hear similarities in the planned discussions across the state. One common thread is the need to really invest in, in infrastructure. A lot of focus around cities have been about quality of life, transportation, making sure that we had good parks and recreation, arts and culture, all of which are really important. But the key ingredient is a good paying job. Cooney expects the commonalities to be intermixed with unique regional components, such as the Plattsburgh region's proximity to Canada. Plattsburgh is actually uniquely positioned to benefit from that international relationship. How can these upstate cities like Buffalo, Rochester and Plattsburgh benefit from a more international relationship in terms of creating jobs, especially in the manufacturing sector, which is already so robust here in Plattsburgh. So we want to grow that and create opportunities for education and families to benefit from that. State Senator Dan Steck, a Republican from the 45th District, praised his colleagues' efforts to spotlight concerns of cities across the state. Every city is unique, but they all have similar challenges, the tax base, uh, you know, housing needs, infrastructure challenges. But, you know, then again, he's also going to see unique things. Hey, we are a suburb of Montreal, so we have an international component here. We're a former Air Force Base town uh, that's done well, so we've had a positive experience that others can learn from. So, I mean, I think there, there's uh, things that make us unique that uh, are also going to be important takeaways, but certainly, no doubt, he's going to hear a lot of similarities from city to city, and that, then they'll get addressed at a statewide basis. While Plattsburgh was officially the tour's second stop following Albany, Cooney said they made an unofficial stop in Kingston. The Regenerate tour also includes Binghamton, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Utica, and Yonkers. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2140. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.